This is Brian Q. Miller, and you're listening to Across the Airwaves. Meanwhile, at the DC Nation, we are tonight's <laughs> entertainment. Here on the world, None of the Robins ever complained. You're going to melt just like a sandwich. And show you just how powerful I really am. Always hold on to all this. I know we just escape my sight, but those who worship me might be where my power green lantern lies. I've the universe howl in despair for I have returned. We have no more use for this one. Kill him. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the DC Nation podcast, dedicated to reviewing all the amazing content DC Comics provides to you as its fans, most notably focusing on the TV shows Gotham, The Flash, Garrow, Ken Coming Soon, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Guy Danchman, your host. Ken with me is the guy who is mourning the loss of a show we used to cover on this show called Constitute, my co-host. Hey, everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways DC Nation podcast. On this week's episode, we continue our coverage of the spring 2015 TV season with our DC Nation show including the Gotham finale and an episode of The Flash and Arrow. And as always, we start everything off with the News with Nico DC Headlines edition. Yeah, we've got a very important edition of the DC Headlines section with all sorts of stuff about the Suicide Squad movie, including a first look at Carly Quinn and the other characters. Get some news about shows that we'll be covering in the fall. Get not covering in the fall due to quiet cancellation. So Nico, why don't you take away with that section now? <laughs> First official look at Harley Quinn and the Suicide Squad. We've seen Jared Leto's Joker. We've seen leaked set photos of Will Smith's Deadshot in civilian wear. Now we have our first official look at the entire Suicide Squad, courtesy of director David Ayer, who tweeted out a photo earlier this week. After the hullabaloo surrounding Jared Leto's Joker, I have to say I'm very much on board with Suicide Squad. Ayer clearly has an aesthetic all of his own in mind, and I appreciate that he's getting out ahead of the speculation and laying it all out there. There's also a picture out now of Will Smith dressed as Deadshot with the signature mask and eyepiece that looks awesome. Suicide Squad opens in theaters on August 5th, 2016. Supergirl lands series order at CBS. Supergirl officially has liftoff at CBS, with the network handing the Greg Berlanti adaptation a formal series order for the 2015-2016 TV season. The much-hyped project written and EP'd by Berlanti, Ali Adler, and Andrew Kreisberg stars Glees Melissa Benoist as the title character, aka Kara Zor-El. Since arriving on Earth from Krypton years ago, Kara's been hiding the powers she shares with her famous cousin. But now at age 24, she decides to embrace her superhuman abilities and be the hero she always was meant to be. The cast also includes Mikhail Brooks, Calista Flockhart, Kyler Lay, and Jeremy Jordan. Now the big question, where on the schedule will CBS slot Supergirl? The answer will come next Wednesday morning, ahead of the network's annual upfront presentation in New York. We'll keep an eye out for any of those announcements and keep you all informed. CW orders Flash Arrow spinoff Legends of Tomorrow. There's about to be a lot more DC comic characters on TV. Just a day after CBS picked up Supergirl to series, the CW has officially ordered DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the new spinoff of Arrow and The Flash. Deadline reported the news, and for the first time, we have a synopsis for the show, one that puts time traveler Rip Hunter at the center of the story. When heroes alone are not enough, the world needs legends. Having seen the future, one he will desperately try to prevent from happening, time-traveling rogue Rip Hunter is tasked with assembling a disparate group of both heroes and villains to confront an unsolved 
unstoppable threat, one in which not only is the planet at stake, but all of time itself. Can this ragtag team defeat an immortal threat unlike anything they have ever known? Legends of Tomorrow stars Arthur Darville as Rip Hunter, alongside Victor Garber as Martin Stein, Brendan Routh as Ray Palmer the Atom, Sierra Renee as Hawkgirl, Frank Franz Dremen as J Jay Jackson, Dominic Purcell as Mick Rory Heatwave, and Wentworth Miller as Leonard Snart slash Captain Cold. Also in the cast is Katie Lotz from Arrow, with the exact nature of her role still being kept a secret, though there are plenty of theories out there along with a few spy picks of Lotz filming regarding Sarah Lance's return in one form or another and how that might occur. I mentioned I think it's going to be a White Canary character, but we'll talk about that more when the series comes out next season. Next Thursday is the CW's upfront presentation when we'll find out when they intend to air Legends of Tomorrow on their schedule next season. Constantine cancelled by NBC. Constantine fans, looks like we're never going to find out exactly what happened on that fateful night in Newcastle. NBC has cancelled the DC Comics drama after season one. Warner Brothers is working hard to find Constantine a new home, but renewal prospects hadn't looked good for the Supernatural series since the network declined to order additional episodes in November. Constantine premiered in October to 4.3 million total viewers and a 1.4 demo rating, well below the ill-fated Dracula's year prior debut numbers, and its finale nabbed only 3.1 million viewers and a 0.8 rating not really numbers that you'd expect to get re renewed. And this is by no means a surprise, but it is still disappointing for those of us that enjoyed the series. And that's the news with Nico, DC Headlines, for this week. All right, and with that, we're going to get into an episode of Gotham that was quite controversial. Going to ask people questioning where things are going to go. I'm hoping that this episode was kind of out there to fix problems to show ahead for it, so it'll have a really great season two. But we'll see where that goes, and we're going to talk more about the problems and good things that happened in this season finale of Gotham. Right now, as we talk about the episode, all happy families are alive. While Leslie helps Barbara with counseling, Jim and Harvey try to rescue Falcone from first Oswald, then Fish, then Maroney. Meanwhile, Kristen asks Edward about Tom's mysterious disappearance. You know, this season finale for Gotham got a lot of what-the-hell moments, including a two-week time jump to try justifying an abrupt character change, where Selina went full-on criminal by joining Fish Mooney's weird haircut posse and the departure of Gotham's two big crime bosses, who in the comics and movies were around when Batman came on the scene. However, for the sake of this discussion, we are going to start by talking about Selina's character change, which makes sense from the standpoint of separating Selina from Bruce's story like we wanted, but this transformation wouldn't have felt so abrupt if the writers ditched the whole stupid Dollmaker storyline and spent the time from the mid-season premiere to the finale, bringing Selina underneath Fish's wing, and having her develop the young Catwoman get to a dangerous villain. Nico, did you think this would have been a better route to go? Okay, were you as frustrated with this time jump as I was? Absolutely, Dan. We've been fairly hard on the entire second half of Fish's story this season because it just didn't seem to fit with the rest of the series. Your idea of showing this fish story arc with her bringing Selina and some of the others living on the street under her wing and growing her power would have made so much more sense than her being stuck on an island with the Dollmaker. Plus, much of the Selina we've been seeing this season was the Selina from after she meets Batman and semi-reforms into an anti-hero rather than the villain she originally was. We need to see her develop into a dangerous villain that is out to help herself and those she cares for. In some iterations of the comics, it's it is prostitutes and homeless women and in others it is a young girl that she is mentoring. I've seen both of those in right. different comics. Good movies as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping now that Selena seems to have gone down this path we will see her separated from Gordon and Bruce in the next season and develop some of her cat burglar and villainous traits maybe under a new mentor since she pretty much burned her bridge with Gordon. Anyway, this could have been a much better fish story arc leading to essentially this same outcome where she and the Penguin have their final showdown. So I think 
think it was just a, a factor of they didn't know what to do with her after they got so many extra episodes. And they went with the Dollmaker, and it just fell flat. But I mean, it was staring them right in the face to go this route. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean you had it built in. Could, you could have thrown an Ivy into it. Exactly. Got done stuff with her. I mean, I, I don't know what they were thinking not to do this. And really, it was kind of a waste of Jada Pickett-Smith as well. Agreed. You know, I mean, she's a pretty experienced actress, and I don't know if people took her seriously after what we saw in the second half of the season. It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, even this episode was rough with her. And again, that wasn't all the questionable things that they did in this episode. As Another thing that really annoyed me was the departure of the crime bosses who were around and Batman was on the scene. Falcone's departure, I mean, it made sense to me if we leave the comics out of the equation, but if the plan was always for him to retire, they should have made him Sal Velestra, who is a known retired Gotham crime boss in the Batman universe. I just left Falcone in power. Because Gotham City always has a gangster element, even with the costume villains taking over. Guys, the major players. Quit Batman arrives on the scene. Yeah, the writers left all this stuff open about Gordon's father. Get Falcone having a falling out. Get, I, I didn't want to know the details of that story. Get, it's going to be hard to know all that without Falcone around to bring up some more of that stuff. I mean, I guess the purpose of removing the gangster crime bosses out of the equation is to put more of a focus on the rise of Batman's rogues gallery, which is working the best for the show. Get, I think the audience really wants to see, but Maroney being killed off creates a major complication, because he drives Harvey Dent, kid to becoming Two-Face, kid has a part to play in the creation, comes some other villains like I thought he would with driving Penguin's mother to committing suicide, which was left on the cutting room floor. Nico, were you shocked to see Falcone and Maroney depart the show so soon that they're supposed to be around until Batman appears? Well, you know, Falcone retired, so there's always the comic book possibility of him returning later to be the crime boss around when Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, but to answer your question, I was pretty shocked by this finale because it killed Maroney and as we both know he's supposed to still be around when Batman emerges and is instrumental in turning Harvey Dent into Two-Face in the comic and is really Sal Maroney's defining act if you yeah, think about it. That's what he's known for. Exactly. So it is a little bit surprising that that's not going to happen. I was thinking that maybe they would make this Sal Maroney as maybe the father of the one who was active when Batman is around but I'm not sure that works either because I don't know any stories where his father was named Sal or anything like that. No. I mean, it's always something that they could There's do. There's nothing about his father. Okay. Falcone's family was fleshed out. Like, he has, like, three soldiers or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they could even come in. So that would be fine with uh, Maroney. There's, it's just Maroney. We don't know much more about his family lineage or anything like that. Yeah, there was something in one story I remember that he was the kind of black sheep of the family for a while, and they were all... I mean, they were still part of a crime family, but he was yeah. even... In, and that was the story that ultimately led to him getting caught and throwing acid on Harvey Dent's face or something like that. Right. I, it, it, it all worked somehow. I, I just don't remember. Well, it depends on what continuity you're talking about. Too. Exactly. I mean, I guess we should just be ready and aware that this version of the Batman universe is not necessarily the same as the comics. Still, I was not expecting them to get rid of almost all of the major villains from season one in this finale. That That's just crazy. But Yeah, it makes it seem like they don't know what they're doing. It does, but I, I think it was all part of the plan. I think it was to establish it and make it feel like it was still all part of the Batman story that we right. know and then now by doing this it's saying look we're telling a different story we're telling our right. own story it's going to be very much in the same vein as everything you've seen from Batman before but we're doing it our way we're doing it our style and I think that's okay as long as they establish it that way and they're not saying this is absolutely canon from now on 
great. But again, I think they should have saved some of these things. Like, you know, I, I agree that they should have had a gangster in Maroney's role. But why did it have to be Maroney? You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. You could have saved for that storyline. Oh, absolutely. So I feel like you, you're running out of source material to use by jumping the gun that quickly. So, that, I mean, that's where I'm sitting at with this. Sure. Yeah. And again, you know, it's going to be the Penguin because the Penguin is exploded because of character. Oh, yeah. So I think that's why they did it. Again, honestly, you know, I've been praising the portrayal that Robin Lord Taylor has brought to the Penguin every week. But this week, I kind of felt his character fell victim to some, to some major overacting. Again, this could be the result of me just growing to despise Fish Moody. Again, that making her final showdown with the Penguin come across as silly. Minus the part where Butch was unsure of who to shoot after what was done to him. Then again, the Penguin standing on the edge of the rooftop yelling, I'm King of Gotham, just didn't sit right with me. Because I was thinking to myself, this is the Titanic. So why is Robin Lord Taylor giving us his best Leonardo DiCaprio impression? Nico, did you also feel the writers kind of missed this stuff with Penguin this week after he's been so good this season? And also, did you feel that this episode was just taking a giant eraser to the show that they should probably have taken to an ad mid-season, especially when it came to Fish Moody? You know, I did not, Dan. I thought the Penguin who had just successfully killed Fish to pose Don Falcone and seen his mortal enemy Moroni gunned down would be ecstatic and rejoicing that he was the now odds-on favorite to take over the city as the King of Gotham. So I understood his exuberance. It was a little cheesy, but so is the Penguin. <laughs> penguin, especially yeah, the way... I just like, the Penguin, I like when he makes things his own. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought they were knocking off Titanic. I don't know. Penguin, especially the way that Robin Lord Taylor has been playing him all season, is a bit theatrical. So this response was about what I kind of expected from him. Something over the top, ridiculous, getting up and saying, I'm the King of Gotham. That kind of makes sense to me, you know? I think he almost should have stepped in foul or something. <laughs> I, I actually did think he might have fallen backwards you know, <laughs> onto the roof and just started laughing or something crazy, you know? Yeah, like that. that's, because then I would have bought it, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I really loved that scene where Butch was struggling to overcome his reprogramming and ended up shooting both of them on the roof. That that was so good. That You could yeah, see the struggle on the actor's face. You could see the questioning and, and trying to overcome what his Zaz reprogramming hit was telling him to do. And he ended up shooting them both and then it like snaps him out of it. So now I wonder, is he going to be loyal to Penguin or is he going to have overcome his new reprogramming? That's going to be interesting for next season. Yeah, he's a good character, so I hope it goes there. Yeah. Now, as for whether or not this seemed like a giant eraser to the show, it did seem like that in some senses by getting rid of Maroney, Fish, and Falcone retiring. But that set up a whole new arc for season two, again, eraser-ish, but with well-established characters now in Selina, Penguin, Nigma, and Gordon, Bullock, and Bruce and Alfred on the good side. It does seem like a, like a little bit of a reboot for season two, but a lot of the character development has been taken care of and these characters can jump off next season in their new roles and new positions but all the legwork of character creation and development has been done this year so i'm excited for where these characters land in season two and where they go from there so it does feel a little bit eraser-ish but i think in a good way so that things can really take off next season because this is kind of a typical move for a fox show where you know, they, it is. they fix things for that second season yep. or revamp this, this is they kind of i don't know if they encourage it or what happens but it's kind of like they force the show in the first season to throw everything at the wall. And then when the second season comes down, gets less topsy-turvy. I guess that's the best word for it. Yeah, we've definitely seen that with a number of shows that we watch that have been Fox shows. So, absolutely. Yeah, like Fridges come to mind. Mm-hmm. That was a little topsy-turvy the first season. It also had to struggle through having an actress who was maybe not up to the task right, in that right. first season and got a lot better as the season went along. Right, and again, this show is also facing the wrath of getting more episodes get it onto their season. Yeah, that, that really put a, I think it put a huge rent, uh, monkey wrench in their, yeah. their plans. Because so. it was really tight 
for the first 16 episodes. At least the first 10 were really, really good. And I think once they knew they had more to do, they started trying to set stuff up and started throwing yeah. things in where they didn't really feel like they fit sometimes. And definitely that entire fish arc was really rough. But I think ultimately it worked because I really enjoyed the season. So I can't give them too much grief. I hope Fox watched those episodes. Can realize, okay, we need to tell these people how many episodes they're actually going to get because we're going to have a problem on our hands. Can they put too much money into this show to blow it? Because it's the Batman show. I mean, it's, it's kind of idiot proof a little bit. <laughs> you would think so. Yeah. Now, even though the main storyline left me scratching my head, I was pleased with what we got from the side stories. Started with the Riddler as the psychotic break he suffered in the one scene he had was a solid indicator. He's going to be a villain next season. Can I like that the writers introduced his Achilles heel? Because his master plan always being spoiled by his need to put a signature on all of his crime-based riddles. With Miss Kringle figuring out, he put his signature to the fake goodbye note from her boyfriend. Nico, what were your observations about this scene regarding the Riddler's future? I thought it was perfectly done, Dan. Perfectly done. With the apparent psychotic break happening right in front of our eyes, him both laughing at and then scolding himself for leaving the clue in that letter. I was surprised that it was Miss Kringle that found the first riddle he left, but that works, I suppose, for this series and the way they have him developing since she was at the heart of his killing the guy in the first place. I think his descent into villainy will be complete when he is forced to either kill Miss Kringle or do something to her to make her forget and it changes her from the woman he has been pining over and I think that is when he'll become the villain that we know of right but I do agree Dan I think season two will be all about Nygma's further descent into villainy yeah it's gonna be I mean it's gonna be really good stuff oh yeah uh, now again I think his riddles will get better mm-hmm. get the girls along yeah so this is the first one and that's why it was so easy for her to figure it out yep but I think he'll get better as it as he goes he's evolving which will be interesting to watch again really you know I've got to give him the psychotic break was beautiful because it was a nice blend between Jim Carrey's version of the Riddler and what Frank Gorsha did on the original Batman 60s TV show. And I really loved how that was thrown in there. Okay, again, some people may knock Batman forever, but Jim Carrey gave a good performance as the Riddler in that. I really thought that was a lot of fun in that movie. So, fun to see that they threw that in. But I also think we'll get some of the comics Riddler in there as well, which, which I think we've seen earlier this season too. So it's going to be good stuff to see where this character goes and plays out. And he really could be one of the best villains of the series. And I kind of like to see a war kind of take place between him and Penguin. I think that would be kind of fun. I agree. That would be a lot of fun to see. Because, I mean, with the gangsters out of the loop, there needs to be some kind of gang war or something to raise the stakes, and that would be something cool to do. Now, the other thing I liked about this episode, because I can't believe I'm saying this about this character, because she was kind of terrible all season, but I think they're going to turn her around. The big thing is, Nico, I was just glad you were right about Barbara's encounter with the ogre snapping loose her serial killer tendencies, because it made up for my disappointment going with things appearing like Barbara was going to remain a damsel of distress. Because it makes me believe she's going to be a much better character next season, because I said before, since the writers are going to be playing with the fact that she truly is cuckoo. The only thing is, I'm not sure if they should have revealed Barbara killed her parents so soon, because I don't know how Gordon is going to end up marrying Barbara when he walked in on her trying to kill Dr. Tompkins. But this is a question that intrigued me enough to come back to the show after the summer. Nico, now that Barbara's serial killer tendencies has been revealed, do you think this will make her a better character? Do you have any predictions on how she's going to end up possibly marrying Gordon after the crime she's committed? Well, Dan, now that Barbara has gone completely off the deep end, your initial theory about the guilt Gordon was going to feel over her being taken and hurt because he went to save Leslie and did not even think about Barbara could come back into play. If and when things fall apart between Gordon and Dr. Tompkins in a future season, because we know it has to go that way, yeah. Gordon may fall victim to his own guilt about what happened to Barbara and try to get her help if and when she gets released from, I'm assuming, Arkham is where she's going to end up. Yeah. And then they may fall back in love. That seems like the only way it could possibly work for them ending up together and having Barbara Babs Gordon and James Jr. in the future. I just don't know if that's something Gordon could do, but he, I think the guilt is going to get to him, and he'll give her another chance, or 
where he'll try to be friendly to her, and ultimately yeah. she'll manipulate him into loving her again. So, Could you see that? That's what she was trying to do in the episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely where things will go, and she will eventually try that and be successful, and then their marriage will be a disaster, and after Barbara is born, I think they'll be on the rocks, they'll have some separations, and eventually when James Gordon threatens Barbara and and Barbara Sr. realizes what James Jr. is, she'll take him and take him to maybe train him or do whatever she does, you know, whatever a psycho would do with a, a psycho kid. So I think I think we're going to see that it's going to be a rocky relationship. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to go there soon, too. But Gordon will stay as long as he possibly can out of the guilt that he caused her to be that way. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because he's honorable that way. Yep. But he does have an affair in the comics. Right. And I, and I think that's going to be solely on this show, because it's going to be out of just needing someone to talk to. You know what I'm saying? Was it who was it with? Was it with? It was it was Sarah Essen. Sarah Essen, right? Who's a, who is a much much different character in the comics compared to who she is on the show. Right, right. So I don't even know if it's going to go there. It might go back to Doctor Tompkins. Yeah. In a future season, as a reason to bring her back, but we just don't know. Because he did it because he had nobody to confide in about what he was doing with his police. He didn't feel like he could bring it home to his wife and family. Right, and that makes sense that it would be Sarah Essen. Right, and so this is a situation where he needs someone because Barbara's cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. Dr. Tompkins knows that. Exactly. But I think there's going to be friction between that because I think Dr. Tompkins is going to be hurt over Gordon not really fully understanding the whole situation. Okay. Because if you think about it, he walked in at the end of the altercation when Dr. Tompkins was attacking Barbara. Barbara wasn't fighting back at that point. Right. So I'm worried that could get messed around on him. Now, moving on to more positive things, there wasn't a whole lot of Bruce and Alfred in this episode, but the way their story ended for the season was quite satisfying because they discovered the Batcave. Gordon Thomas Wade's secret chamber at this point. Because since Lucius Fox gave Bruce the clue to help him find the cave, I'm pretty sure he helped Thomas Wade set it up. But I wonder how much is down there. Could there be a, a supercomputer that Bruce will turn into the back computer? Or is there just a desk and a bunch of file cabinets? Could Bruce will have to build the cave up to what it is presently in the Batman comic books? What do you think, Nico? Could, do you think it was too soon for Bruce to find what will become the back cave? Or are you good with the writers making this decision? Dan, I love this discovery this week. It is not too soon for Bruce to discover the back cave because it will take him a long time to get it where it needs to be when he is Batman. And it will make more sense that he even gets the idea of becoming the Batman when he's been living a secret life with his like his father for a while and decides or is inspired to use the Batman as a symbol to strike fear into the criminal element of Gotham. So I think it kind of makes sense to set it up this way. Now what yeah. Bruce and Alfred find next season will not be the Batcave, nor will it have a supercomputer down there. It will have all the files and work that Thomas had been doing and I think will give some clues as to who killed his parents or at least give a few more suspects when Bruce figures out what his father was doing, who he was investigating within Wayne Enterprises, and who had a motive to kill him. I love the idea that Thomas Wayne was a prequel version of the Batman in this telling of the story, because that adds a new element we've never seen, or at least I've never seen, in yeah. many of the Batman stories and origin stories that I've seen. I like that idea that he was a prequel to the Batman Bruce will become, but as you said last week, that Thomas never had that tragedy that ultimately Bruce does have, with both his parents being killed, that did not propel Thomas in to becoming a superhero. Rather, he was only fighting for his company. And Bruce gets inspired to become a vigilante and fight for justice and the end of crime in Gotham. So I like that idea that they both have this sort of internal thing that drives them, but because of the tragedy, the external tragedy forced upon Bruce, it sends him even further into that stoic life, and he becomes the Batman. Right, exactly. Thomas Wade, again, I, I, I got what you're saying, just to clarify for the listeners, Thomas Wade was it like wearing a costume fighting crime. 
time. No, no. Because this precursor is bad. I know what you meant. Yeah. I just want to clarify for everybody. You know, he was kind of working behind the shadows and investigating things. Exactly. Doing more the detective thing. Exactly. The, 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 the crime fighting. Because mm-hmm. that all explain where Bruce gets that from. Exactly. That intelligence and stuff. So that's a really cool way to go. But I'd like to see the Batcave get built up, get built up over seasons. Yes. Because that'll be something to get us excited about. Yep. So there'll be new things. I think at the beginning, it's going to be a lot like how it looked in the early, you know, scenes of Batman Begins. And I would be interested to see if we're going to have a scene where he and Alfred are exploring down there because there's like a cave in and Bruce falls out a hole because that's where he sees, you know, the bat that inspires him to become Batman. All good possibilities. Absolutely. There's different ways that he was inspired on how to become Batman. That is one of them. So I don't know if the cave is going to have to do with that. But with the bats making noise at the end of the episode, which is awesome, kind of a feeling that's where it's going to go. I agree. Because there hasn't really been enough got bats or anything acknowledging that until this episode. I think they wanted to steer clear of that in this first season, right. but now that they've gotten there, I think it was perfectly handled. Right, and again, we're not going to see Batman on the show probably for a long time if we ever see him. There may be illusion to him coming. Right. So I don't know. Even the series could end with Bruce going off to get the training he needs to become Batman. So I, I'm not sure what the import of the show is, or if they even have one plan. I don't know. That's a get-up-in-the-air thing. But with that, I think it's time to move on to a show that I know they have things planned out on, because that's a show called The Flash, which gave me an episode that I was very, very nervous about, but Believe it or not, they came through like Nico said. So, Nico, kudos to you on that. Thank you for giving me hope. Can it actually work? God like what some of my hopes for Game of Thrones goes. To talk <laughs> that show. But anyway, we're going to talk about the episode that I think made a lot of fans go bananas. Got its use of CGI on television. So let's talk about the episode, Rod Lives. My name is Barry Allen. I am the fastest man alive. Reverse Flash unleashes Grodd on Central City as a distraction from, from his own plans, and the telepathic gorilla abducts Joe. I was very surprised that Iris figured out get caught Barry in the act of being the Flash so soon, but it made sense as Team Flash was clearly in need of help with Dr. Wells, now being out of the picture. Can Iris' researching slash reporting skills did just the job. Also, I thought the writers did a good job of leaving more story to tell between Barry and Iris, because her finding out the truth didn't really resolve all their issues romantically. Because she still hasn't decided between Barry and Eddie, but Barry said that Iris helped him through the danger of being a superhero fit the character perfectly. Because when they get married, which will probably happen a few seasons down the road, you know, Iris and Barry work many times together as a team to deal with threats to Central City. And don't worry, Arrow fans, they do this without the annoying friction that currently exists between Felicity and Oliver. So, Nico, what did you think about the surprise move of the love interest fighting out the identity of the superhero in the first season? Was it handled in a tactful way for romance issues to last a couple of seasons on this show? You know, Dan, I was surprised last week when she realized that the Flash was in fact Barry Allen, but I thought they handled it well. Well, everything except for the fact that they need to lock the doors to the Flash HQ portion of Star Labs because she just waltzed in there. She just walked in a couple times in this episode where there, if there had been a lock, you know, or some sort of secret base door, she wouldn't have been able to get through. See, that's why Dr. Wells, he's not there, so. Yeah. There's the one to lock the door. For a secret base slash metahuman prison, there is a serious lack of security. <laughs> anyway, I think this is a necessary change up from tradition where the love interest learns the secret enemy in season one because Team Flash is in crisis right now and having to have all of them lie to Iris who was the only one in all of Central City it felt like that did not know that Barry was the Flash was it was almost too much for them to have to keep doing. Could make the character look stupid. Exactly. It makes sense and it will help heal the team after the betrayal of Dr. Wells by bringing in another friend to the team and someone they can confide in and someone to help. Anyway I, I think it'll end up working very well. Well again Iris and Barry Ellen 
that their relationship was the start of the Chegg Jail. Mm -hmm. They were the first superhero couple where the hero, the, the love interest, knew the identity of the hero. Right. So they were the first Chegg Jail. So this is not outside their wheelhouse because Iris found out in the Flash comics very early as well. Okay, their relationship had nowhere near the complications as it does on this TV show. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting to see where they're taking it. And, and I'm glad that they, they're doing it where she knows, but there's still conflict involved. Exactly. That's a really good way to handle it because, you know, so many times it's with the love interest and the main character kind of find out each other's secrets. A lot of times there's no more story to tell because there's not much more story to tell. But here there seems like so much more to do. So that's, that's a really good thing. Well, we know it's going to get pushed a lot further into the future because there's the whole Eddie issue right now. Yes. And, and he's still in the picture. And even if something terrible happens to Eddie in the finale or in this in the end of the season, she's going to be really you know broken up about that. Yep. There's going to be no room for them to have a relationship. And if something doesn't happen, then it's going to we're going to have to see her fall out of love with Eddie before she can fall in love with Barry. Plus, there's all the thing with Barry being skeptical about doing this. Right. You know, if it's the right thing, because he's the nice guy. Yep. He's not going to do anything that's going to hurt anyone. Right. Even if Eddie goes evil, he's still going to feel guilty yep. about being with Iris. Yep. Because that's just the character he is. Now, speaking of Eddie, can I think preventing the future that Reverse Flash told him about, where his life meant nothing to the Fog family heritage, is still what's going to make him get to a villain. Because the Reverse Flash knows this. Can I might be tricking Eddie into this destiny based on his own experience, which makes this Tom Cavanaugh version of the Reverse Flash completely diabolical, because he's willing to tarnish the name of his own family. So basically, because do you think the scene we got between the Reverse Flash and Eddie group more educators that he's going to be driven in ability? by the reverse flash yeah dan this fits with a few of our theories about where eddie's story could go that we've already had we had hypothesized that he might be offered powers by wells and while that seems the least likely at the moment still could be a temptation for eddie to help wells do what he needs to do next so that he can be the hero that iris falls in love with instead of barry's flash in that sense the future that wells is telling eddie about is how he is the least worthwhile fawn in history could be a lie told to eddie to manipulate him into becoming the first reverse flash or the first villain in the family tree. We've thought of a few ways that the Eddie could go bad, and all of them, at least in my book now, seem to stem from Dr. Wells and what he is doing to him right now. Could it be that Eddie never wants to be in a situation where he is so helpless and reliant on the Flash to save him that he seeks to create powers for himself? That's always a possibility. Right. Does he do it in response to losing Iris to Barry, or the fear of losing Iris to Barry? Does Wells do something to Eddie that leads to him becoming a villain by trying to stop from becoming what Wells wants him to become? Or could he become so obsessed with not being forgotten to history that he goes insane and becomes corrupted with the thought of being a hero that will be remembered in history and becomes a villain? Any of these could happen, and it would all tie back to Dr. Wells and what he is doing to Eddie in this episode and in what I suspect he'll be doing in the next couple episodes. So tune in to Save Flash Time, Save Flash Station, find out the answer to all his questions. Exactly. The only thing is, manipulating Eddie, if he's not meant to become evil, wouldn't that screw up the timeline? Okay, wouldn't Todd be nervous about that? Maybe he knows that something pushes him become, because we know something happens that ultimately causes the Thons to either become the reverse flashes or at least have something in them to have that ability in the future. So maybe he's just jump-starting it, making it happen faster than it would have. So that Yeah, like Barry getting his powers and exactly. the collider explosion and everything else. Okay. Exactly. That would make sense. So he's just rapidly pushing it forward. Plus, he may need like the family DNA or something to be able to travel back into the future. 
future or something like that. Always a possibility, or since he's lost his ability to work with the Flash, maybe he needs to create a new speedster to give him the power yep. he needs. There you go. Because the the, the speed force is a, it's a, once it chooses go a, a conduit or a person, it runs through that family's bloodline. Right. Basically, because that's why the Lightning even found Wally West, because it was connected to that. Because the, the speed force, they said, even intentionally, is what was responsible for bringing Iris and Barry together. Which was kind of established in this kind of show already, because when there was that spark of lightning between Iris and Barry in the previous episode, where she figured out it was him, uh-huh. she said, I've never felt that before. Yep. Because she knew that it was specifically with, was connected to Barry. Because no one else could do that besides her. Chris basically says she's connected to speeds. Yep, exactly. So there, there's, that's why he's going to Eddie, because he knows family lineages are connected to the speed force, and that just take it back. But again, he's going to want him to become a villain at the same time, because he's the reverse flash. He needs those things. Because the other thing is, what the heck do we call him now? It's like, do we call him Thawd? Do we call him Dr. Wells? Do we call him the Reverse Flash? I'm going to start calling him the Reverse Flash because that's who he truly is. Dr. Wells is a guy's. So hopefully that doesn't confuse anybody, but that's what I'm going to go with now. Because his real name is Evidor Thawd, and that's the Reverse Flash, so that's what I'm going to call him. Sure. Kaneko, you can call him what you want to. I think everyone follows well enough to know. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll probably still call him Dr. Wells just because that's what he was established as. But, yeah. I mean, I'll try to use Reverse Flash as well. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. Though. I do. Let's do that. Again, we haven't gotten into different crisis continuities yet within the TV universe so name issue is nothing that's going to make anyone go cross-eyed at this point but um, if that flashpoint Q-verse happens it might get a little tricky but I think they'll use this that well anyway moving on now as some of you may know from our previous episodes I've been very leery of Grodd appearing on this show because I believed a full-blown CGI character could not be done on television at this point and I thought the director of this episode solved this problem in the clever way that most sci-fi fantasy TV shows do by Grodd being the man in the mask that was stealing gold bars but the flash once again proved they are going for the next generation of special effects and sci-fi fantasy television. As the man in the mask turned out to be a mind-controlled general, Healing. Grodd was left to be the first successful CGI character on network television, who, believe it or not, got a fight scene with the Flash. After seeing this, I was glad he got away. Because the effects we saw here were a pretty good indicator Grodd could work as the season two big bad. Because he was set up to get smarter. Because the effects for his character will also probably improve at the same time. Nico, after seeing this episode, did you still feel like you were right? about the effects that were going to be used for Grodd being quite impressive. Yeah, Dan, this has sort of been a point of contention privately between you and I that we've talked about in our discussion off-air that I thought they'd be able to pull off the fully CGI Grodd where you were not so much doubting their ability as you were leery that they could do it on a TV budget and a weekly show. I think this episode gave us both hope that I was correct in my hypothesis that they would be able to make a convincing Grodd and do it as well as they've been able to do the Flash effects. This series is cutting edge when it comes to CGI effects, and this week's Grodd, I thought was top-notch. Yeah, I did too. I have no concerns if they decide to make Grodd the big bad of next season, and we get a few more Barry versus Grodd fight scenes, because I figure they will only get better with time, and this one was pretty spectacular in my book. So I'm excited by that idea, and I'm a lot more convinced that he could be the big bad for next season, and it worked. Well, think about where the effects of God with basically, you know, this network, which was originally began as the WB started. You know, they, we had Buffy, because the effects were uh, pretty, you know, I mean, they were good. They were good. But in the past, like, 15 years, they've got it, like, way better. I mean, even when Smallville started, up until, you know, it ended, especially where it ended with the last two, two seasons, the effects increased tenfold. So it's getting to the point that within a year, the effects could be just absolutely outstanding. Kind of like movie quality from this show. Because, I mean, this is something they're doing in the first season. Right. Think of as it goes on. Jeez. Good stuff. Yeah. Again, I think they're running off of Arrow's budget as well. I think they gave both 
shows. They say budget because they knew that they'd both be a huge success. So I think that's how it works. I think they, they gave them a loud amount of money. Could they even get more next year because they've got a third show coming in. So this could get really, we could get some really, really good stuff to come in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So really, this is a big step forward. Good effects. I mean, we were watching Smallville. It was a stretch. We never even thought we would maybe see Carquette fly. Good hour seed, full CGI characters. So that's nuts. Now, from a story standpoint, some of you might have thought it was a little ridiculous that Joe freaked out so much about a giant monkey. But it really was a grunt physical presence that freaked him out. It was his telepathic abilities. And the fact that he was invincible against the Flash's supersonic punch. But Grodd needed to be set up because the heavy hitter that he is in the comic books to show Team Flash they can handle supervillains without Dr. Wells. Because this made Grodd a good choice for a villain this week. Because the teammates still need a little more help to the confidence department because they are calling it the Arrow and Firestorm for help with battling the reverse Flash. Because something in that fight needs to happen where Barry has to win on his own because this is a founding member of the Justice League. Because the audience who doesn't know so much about the comics need to know he's capable of taking on that role. Plus, again, I don't think these writers can continue to fall upon that crutch over and over again, because it's just tricky with actor schedule. Because do you think Rod was a perfect villain to prove to Team Flash they could handle threats without Dr. Wells? Because does the team have a little more work to do with having confidence in themselves as heroes? Yeah, Dan. Rod was a great choice because of his massive size making him an opposing force to be reckoned with, and the psychic-slash-mind-control abilities being something that Barry was overmatched with was a great way to show that if Team Flash works together, they can pretty much overcome anything, and they do not need Dr. Wells to be successful. Also, having Barry learn to overcome Rod's ability using Iris's voice and memories of her as a way of strengthening Barry's resolve so that he could overcome the attack and fight Grodd without the need for Cisco's tech was a great move. It both showed the need for Iris on the team, and it gave Barry the confidence that with his team by his side, he can take on anything that comes his way. I think he will need to eventually find that he can be fully self-reliant, as we suspect that Caitlin will eventually go bad, and Cisco may go off on his own as Vibe. But for now, it's good to see Barry and Team Flash learn that they can do this without Dr. Wells. It will give them the needed confidence to go up against and hopefully take down the reverse Flash in the future, in right. what we suspect is the next couple episodes. But, but you agree that, that Barry needs to defeat him on his own. I think it'll ultimately come down to Barry doing it on his own. Right. He'll need he he'll always need support from his friends and from his team or from people that he cares about when maybe that team dissolves. But but not other superheroes. That's well, what I'm more meaning. I don't know because I know that Firestorm and Arrow come to help. So right, and which is fine for like the first time. But I feel like in the future, like the Flash needs to be able to beat his nemesis by himself. Agreed. But I think it is so he's so overmatched because essentially the Reverse Flash has all of their history of fighting at, to his advantage right True. now. True, this is, yes. So he's at a disadvantage in that sense. If they were both new speedsters going up against each other for the first time, you would expect that the Flash would be equally matched. He's so overmatched at the moment that... Which, yeah, exactly. He needs so, the other heroes. So if Eddie becomes another incarnation of the reverse Flash, then that's who he could defeat by himself. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, there Absolutely. You go. Because this is, this is reverse Flash that's even more experienced than possibly the reverse Flash that we know in the comic books. Exactly. He's had 15 additional years from the last time he and the Flash fought right. before the crisis. So yeah. So they're going to need, yeah, they're going to need backup squad because this is, some of that's huge. But then again, that makes me feel like because he is so powerful, they need such a big team up. Okay, again, that's going to be really cool stuff. I feel like Dr. Wells isn't going to make it through the end of the season. Always a possibility. It, it has always been a possibility since we, the moment we realized who he was. Right. Who he really was. It, it was but, always been a possibility. Right. But don't count any characters dead within comic books or superhero genre material. Right. I mean, they easily could bring it back in a future episode. So, because I mean, Smallville brought a lot of people back that we thought was gone or what 
one-time season villains. So they can do the same thing here. I mean, nobody's ever done the comic books, in my opinion. Except for maybe a certain character in the future, God Arrow, just to save the show. <laughs> so with that, I think we're going to get into Arrow with the episode that made things better than I said where they were last week. But it has me questioning, okay, just how exactly are they going to resolve this? Can it going to involve a certain character making a really stupid decision that's ultimately going to lead to their death? So let's discuss all of that right now, because we talk about the Arrow episode. This is your sword. <laughs> The mole within the League of Assassins sends an unexpected ally to Starling City to summon Diggle, Felicity, and Laurel. Meanwhile, he is reunited with Roy. In the past, Oliver and Maceo capture Shreve and attempt to get the cure from him. I've been fired up about Eros at the return from my hiatus, hitting the ground running with the death of Oliver's story arc. But last week's episode, Gallus took me out of the game, because we got what Smallville fans called a Red Kryptonite episode, where Oliver was brainwashed or acting as the bad guy. But this week I got excited about Arrow again, because Oliver revealed he had not been brainwashed at all. Okay, I was pulling a fake out on Ra's al Ghul. Nico, were you glad to see the evil stuff Oliver did last week was just an act? Because it was something that got you excited because we headed to the season finale? Yes, yes I was. I am glad that it was a fake out and not that Oliver needs to be snapped out of whatever Roz had done to him. We were having trouble kind of figuring out how yep. that was going to happen, so I like this so much more than I would have had Oliver really lost part of himself. It seems more like the honorable sacrifice that Oliver would make to fake his own descent into villainy to stop Roz, even at the cost of his friendship and love of his team. This is what a hero would do, and that is the hero that is Oliver Queen and Green Arrow that we want. So I, I was I was pretty happy when it was revealed this week that he was in fact himself still. Plus after everything we saw him go through at the island in the flashbacks, get everything we see on this show, he's just too badass to fall for something like that. Like he was almost out of character Agreed. before ever succumbed to that so easily. Yeah, absolutely. So this makes so much more sense. Gonna again, it's different. I thought it was gonna be a lot like, you know, Smallville season nine, where Clark Kent kind of lost himself. Okay. And it was like him regaining who he was before. I think this more is going to be about next season making amends with his team. And, and kind of explain, look, this is the hero thing I had to do. I had to do these things. Can you guys need to accept? But there's got to be some way to work it out. Again, I, 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 I'm skeptical, and I'll, I'll get more into this in a second, about why they're that upset with Oliver. Because, like, I thought this is part of the gig, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I expected for Felicity. Okay, yes, oh my god, she's been annoying <laughs> with her outbursts for weeks. So, I mean, we're going to leave that hardest death alone, because I'm just tired of going over it every week. I feel like we say that every week, you know, we go through that. But I was glad to see Laurel get angry with her when she said that Oliver they know is completely dead, because that's going to be the difference maker to what makes Oliver choose Laurel over Felicity as his true love. I mean, that's it right there. Kids down, and, and they got to run with that, because, yeah, I'm just dying here with Felicity stuff. However, now Diggle is frustrating me with his outbursts. Because the anger he displayed in the opening scene of the episode was really out of character for him. Because I can't believe he told Oliver he couldn't trust him anymore. Could Oliver try to come clean with his money? Because Diggle kind of pulled the same stuff when faking Roy's death. Nico, did Diggle feel like he went out of character this week to you as well? Yeah, Dan, this is a continuation of my comment last week where I said that it seemed like only Laurel seemed to be herself in the last episode. Well, it seemed the same this week as Diggle was completely out of character, not trusting Oliver after doing almost the same sort of thing a few weeks ago with the whole faking Roy's death, like you mentioned. Also, we've seen Diggle in all kinds of terrible situations, but we've never seen him lose his cool like he did in the opening scene. I don't like where things are going with Diggle, at least not the last two weeks. I'm sure once they wrap up this entire Ra's al Ghul story arc, things will get better, but I hope things are not irreversibly damaged before then with the changes or apparent changes in character that we've been seeing. Yeah, I hope it doesn't damage Diggle. I mean, I get that there needs to be friction in the relationship, you know, with him and Oliver, 
I think this is going to the extreme a little bit. Mm-hmm. Again, we're going to get enough of this from Felicity. So I don't think the whole team needs to be this way. But again, I think out of all the people that he's going to work out issues with, Diggle might be the one that's first. Okay. But then again, if they're going to go the route of Laurel being the love interest, she might be the first one. Because that's what makes Oliver start kind of looking at her like the way he used to. Okay. That makes really, sense. She's been the only one the whole time that's making any sense right now with what's going on. And again, she is a hero herself. She is a full-blown superhero hero. So she is going to understand that sacrifice. At least I think she is. But then again, you know, Oliver and Laurel or Oliver and Dinah on the comic book kind of been known to argue and not to see eye to eye. So that maybe could happen. But I think she's going to play a big part in helping him through this. Moving on to other things. After watching Beware the Batman, can be a huge fan of the Outsiders. I can't believe I did put two and two together that Maceo's wife was Katana. Cause as soon as this reveal was made, I knew Maceo was a dead man because Katana is consumed with avenging her husband's death. But having him be killed by her hand added a new layer to this dynamic that could be very interesting if she survives until the end of the season. Nico, what were your thoughts on Maceo's wife turning out to be Katana? Cause did you see this coming? That was a great twist of the season, finding out that she was actually Katana. It makes sense that she was someone important because of the amount of screen time and story focus she got this season in the flashbacks and being the one who tended to Oliver after the fall. I never would have guessed who she was, but I liked it when it was revealed in this week's episode. So yeah, absolutely, this was a good twist. Also, that extra layer of her being the one forced to kill her husband makes the story of Katana unique to the Arrow show. And I think she will survive the season, as I suspect everyone survives the Alpha and Omega in this episode, but we'll talk about that more later. The only thing that has me nervous about the fate of Katana on this show is the fact that the suicide squad image came out. That's true. Katana's in it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because they did kind of kill off Deadshot, I think purposely because of that movie. So this could happen again here too. That is absolutely true. I think it would be a shame. Oh, I agree. Katana's a good character. Yeah, absolutely. I hope not. I hope that they they allow... They're using Flash in the Justice League, but they're not going to kill the Flash show. Right. So I hope that maybe we get a little bit of leeway with some of these characters. Yeah. Well, and I think it's good advertising, to be honest. Oh, sure. I mean, I know some people don't like that. They think it should be quite the way Marvel is doing it. Again, again, I think that's the smart way to do it. That's the best way to do it. But, you know, we love these shows. I don't want to lose these shows. So I can accept there being two worlds. Yeah. But again, I don't really know what they're doing with the movie fan franchises. I don't have a real lot of faith in it at this point. But it could turn out. I'm, I'm actually feel like they've actually set up some really good stuff for the film franchise, and I think it's going to be a couple years behind where Marvel is, but I think they're going to be on the same trajectory. I think they're going to do the movies and do them well. They just won't tie them to the TV shows. Okay, because we had a you know, I mean, because kind of the fact, I think Suicide Squad is going to be a really good movie. I absolutely agree. Now that they have Will Smith in it, who, like, you really can't go wrong when he's in a movie unless M. Night Shyamalan makes it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's M. Night Shyamalan. That's on him. That's not Will Smith. So, I, I think that's going to be a great film. But I'm still a little leery about Batman vs. Superman. Um, and that's more my feelings with Zack Snyder than anything else. So, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident that DC's going to have some really good films coming out. Ben Affleck being involved makes me feel a lot better. I I like Affleck. I've liked a lot of his movies. Yeah, he's done some stinkers. Absolutely. But he has done some really good work, too. So I'm I'm excited to see him as Batman. He's not going to be Christian Bale. No, he's not. But, it's but again, a different Batman, but I think it's going to be good stuff. Good. His behind-the-camera stuff is good, too. Mm-hmm. Good. So I hope that they, they, they use his input on it, you know? I hope Zack Snyder, since they're both experienced directors, that they collaborated with each other on this. Yeah, I hope so. Where, I mean, yeah, Zack Snyder did a little heavy lifting, but I mean, I really hope he listened to a lot of Ben Affleck's ideas and stuff because Ben Affleck has made some fantastic movies. 
But if you ever watch them, see them. Very good. The one I really kind of like is the towel. I think that gives you a good idea of what I think he could bring to a Supergirl franchise. Because that's got Jeremy Renner in it, too. So if you're Hawkeye fans, check that out, because he's pretty good in that movie. Now, going back to Arrow, speaking of heroes from other comic books, coming into Love the Helping Hand, I thought Ray Palmer flying in the stuff the stealth plane that was going to release the virus was another dose of special effects nirvana from the CW's DC Universe. But it was a bummer Ray did get the win, because Roz just set the plane up as a trap for Team Arrow. Because some fans out there might have been angry about this, thinking that Oliver was so evil, guy was pulling a fake out on his original fake out, but Oliver had no choice besides letting Roz take his friends prisoner, since he was surprised by this turn of events as well. But what was Malcolm playing at by selling out everyone? Nico, was this an attempt to get himself free to help Oliver for Thea's sake, or is he still out to be the villain? I actually think this was a fake-out betrayal, or rather, a planned betrayal. I think it was part of the plan because Roz knew w that Malcolm would betray his fellow teammates, so by playing on that knowledge, it forced Roz's hand to prove Oliver was al-Sahim and use the Alpha and Omega on his friends. But since I said it was a fake-out, Malcolm had prepared the team for the bioweapon and made sure that they had been inoculated and were safe. In other words, I feel like things are going still according to the maybe not the original plan, but a backup plan of Oliver and Malcolm's. So while it seems like Malcolm was selling everybody out, this is exactly what Roz would expect of him and thus it had if he had not attempted it Roz would have become really suspicious of Oliver and the whole fact that the team was in Nanda Parabat so I think this works because it was playing upon Roz's already knowledge of Malcolm Merlin yeah but again the, the, the big question is and I've got my theories about it, which we'll get to in a minute is how were they inoculated when they said there was no cure well there's no cure once you've been exposed but if you're inoculated before right, okay, right exactly it's like a it's like a like I thought it was mm-hmm and and Oliver and Maceo were okay. If you remember, yeah. they were they were they took the inoculations and then they gave Akira the inoculation as well. But the problem was he was so young, his his immune system couldn't create the response fast enough. So when the bioweapon hit, he was still killed because his immune system hadn't fully taken up the vaccine, hadn't produced right. the necessary antibodies to fight it and and to ramp up the response. Whereas Oliver Maceo and uh, Maceo's wife uh, Katana, they were all able to do that because they have adult immune systems. So the inoculation definitely or vaccine it exists but a cure after the fact does not okay well they kind of screwed up another theory i had because they were inoculated beforehand but uh yeah we'll let you talk about the next point nico because i'm going to come up with an amendment to that <laughs> i've got one forming in my head so we'll get to that in a minute but um on the other hand as malcolm appeared he descended back down to the villainy because daughter thea grows up to heroism because roy passed on the torture of being oliver's sidekick on her which made me happy because with their romance being a big part of this series there needed to be closure between these two characters before Roy departed the show. And this makes me excited as well, because it means Speedy is coming. If Thea goes by that name. Nico, did you appreciate the passing of the torch that took place between Roy and Thea? Did you think her taking on the mantle of Speedy could be the X-Factor in saving Team Arrow from Ra's al Ghul? No, I like the send-off that Roy got in this episode so much better than the one a few weeks ago when we thought he was dead for a commercial break, only to learn that they had faked it, and then he left without getting to say goodbye to Thea. That was I thought that, that this new send-off was needed, and I'm glad we got right. that in this episode. Also, as you said, this doubly acted as a passing of the torch and goodbye for Roy to Thea. So I like that idea. However, I do not think she's going to be any secret weapon or X-Factor for the finale, although I do believe she will take a position on the team and help stop things. I just don't see her being the deciding factor. I like the idea of her becoming speedy and possibly apprenticing under either Black Canary or Oliver next season, and that could be really awesome either way it goes. 
All I know is that that is one aspect of this whole story arc that has worked out so far for me. Right, again, yeah, as Speedy might be the only member of Team Arrow at the beginning of next season as well. Yeah. After this kind of fallout that happened at the end of the episode. Yeah, depending on how things come about and who was part of the plan and what the plan was and who knew what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I think she may be the factor get mending fences between the rest of the team. That I can absolutely agree with. I mean, I think she's going to get behind Oliver and say, look, this is all he could do and he did this for me. Could you people are upset with him for something he did to save my life. Mm -hmm. So I feel like because she owes Oliver for that, because the sacrifice he made for her, that I think she will be on his side almost immediately. It's also because of Roy, too. Because Roy is very loyal to Oliver. Yes. Um, again, it's a little different in the comic books, but this version, this interpretation, yes, was perfect. And the other thing is, I think they had to leave Roy's departure until this episode, you know, to really put an end to it. Because it, with Thea getting killed off at the end of that episode, where he left the first time, that would have, you, they would, I don't think they knew what to do with him during that arc was the problem. So they just kind of took a punch to make the story better later on. Sure, absolutely. I don't I don't fault them with that. I just love that they came back yeah. to it and made it even better. Right, again, I think it was just like, okay, we have to have him leave the city here so the death thing will work because we don't know what to do with him. Again, again it would have been too much for him to be there with all the Razal Rolls stuff that was going on in that episode. Sure. Where he takes out, where Oliver takes on the mantle. So that totally makes sense. Again, it would have been stupid to see them go against each other too, so good think it was a great idea. Now, anyway, they've come up with my amendment a little bit. Got the note of getting Team Arrow out of the mess. Good, Nico, I think you kind of already gave me some answers. You know, how the heck is Oliver going to save his friends after being enforced to release the virus? Got them to maintain his cover. I mean, some of you may still think that Oliver has truly gone bad, but I think he had no choice. Good, my original theory was that maybe he had the team at Star Labs perfect the cure for the virus even though the flashback showed us that one doesn't exist. But Nico, I think your inoculation idea makes more sense. And again, I said something about how, you know, Oliver was going to end up producing a cure. Can tell his friends, okay, take this. This will heal you. Because then Felicity wasn't going to trust him because she was so angry. Because that would lead to her death. But the problem is, I think that would make fans angry because it would make her character look stupid. So I'm wondering if what they're going to do is they maybe Malcolm offered the, the inoculation. But because Felicity got so much hate towards Malcolm, she doesn't take the inoculation because she ends up dying of the virus. Hmm. Because the whole season, she's had this problem. It's almost a character flaw. Achilles heel. Of getting so overly angry, get emotional, she doesn't look at the whole picture. And I feel like she's going to pay the price for that. I feel like it's over and over again. It's almost like, you know, them saying chicken to Marty McFly in Back to the Future Part 2. Right. It's that kind of character flaw. And then again, she's going to die, and then that's going to break up the team. And then season four is going to be Team Arrow broken up. And it's probably going to be Oliver and Thea running around fighting crime. And then Black Canary's going to be doing her own thing. Or maybe she's going to have a team with Diggle. And they're fighting, and they're doing their thing. I'm not really sure how that's going to work. Right. And then it's going to be about bringing the team back together, because they need to work together to deal with the next big bad. Who's going to threaten Starling's? Sterling City. Um, I would like to see Brick come back. Could have Vinnie Jones maybe do that because Brick had a long-term reoccurring villain role in the Green Arrow comic books. So I'm thinking that maybe could fly here. They didn't kill him off, right? He's just in jail. Yeah, he's just in jail. So maybe they could run with that. I don't know. That would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's going to go the way that we've been discussing with Malcolm having had them synthesize the inoculations before leaving Fernando Parabat. And they, I think the team will be fine. But another possibility is that they will have Barry Speedster over the cure, which I think the government has since created to prevent the Alpha and Omega yep. from being used against the U.S. And Star Labs has access to the records because they were 
were involved in the actual creation of the original cure when Wells was working with Eileen. That's another way things could go, because I do think that Barry's going to be involved in this episode somehow. I don't know if it's going to be back in Starling, yeah. if it's going to be in Nandal Parabat and, and kind of save them, or what it's going to be. But I think my initial thought of them being inoculated beforehand is the way it's going to go. Barry could come in, because that's why Oliver goes to help Barry. Kind of a return for the favor. Yeah, absolutely. Or the flesh goes and gets Oliver. Again, finds out all his troubles going on. Again, ultimately saves him. Mm-hmm. Again, Oliver, as I said, is a very strong character. Again, he needs to get out of some of this on his own ball. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I I do like your theory that the result of the finale could fracture the team, especially if it results in the death that we suspect has to happen when Felicity is killed. And Oliver has to, to spend maybe the first part of season four getting the band back together. But I actually see that all could happen in the finale, especially when they have to defeat Ra's al Ghul, the League of Assassins, and possibly the reverse Flash in the remaining episodes of the Flash show. So I suspect that is how things will go the next few episodes between the two shows, is that while it could fracture them all off and, and we have to spend a good portion of next season on Arrow getting them back together, I think it's just as likely that they could be splintered at the beginning of this episode in this finale, and we will see that they have to get back together in this finale and the Flash finale. So that's always a possibility as well. Yeah, I, I could see that too. Again, this is a season four maneuver. Mm-hmm. Season three ends with the team getting splintered. Again, season four is about going to get back together. Again, they kind of did that with 24, season four. Mm-hmm. Again, I think did they kind of do that with Angel as well. Because was it the fall I got with Wesley? Good season three? Yes, yes. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. And he comes back, and then they're able yeah. to convince him to be part of the team, and then he's part of the team again, although there's still major tensions between Wesley and Angel. And then right. Fred's death, or, you know, yeah. turning into Ilaria, becomes what ultimately cements them back together in season five, even though they'd had they'd been back together at, in an uneasy relationship prior to that in season four. So yeah, right. I, I believe you're right. Good even Castle kind of did that too, with season four after the shooting and yep. all that stuff. That was a character death that mm-hmm. kind of broke up season four, so that makes sense again, too. So, again, I think a lot to look forward to. It's going to be fun to see how these things cross over. It's going to be fun to see how this sets up the, the pilot for Legends of Tomorrow next season, which we're very excited about. Right. Again, again, next season's Big Bad for Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow could all be the same character. That's always a possibility. I think that might be a little confusing. It right. would be it would be unheard of before, because that would mean that you would have to watch all of these shows, for, and they would not remain self-contained that's that's true but i love that idea that they would have that much crossover and stuff that who knows maybe supergirl would have some episodes dealing with it as well even though it's on a separate network right. it's the same production company so you know get titans as well and titans as well yeah i think these writers are good enough to pull that off get away that still if you haven't seen the other shows you'll still have an idea of what's going on right and it'll just be the crossover events right. will be like these people from other shows show up on this show but it's all within a self-contained episode or a self-contained story and that that would work okay also i think the reason i I mentioned about all the the characters coming back together in this finale is a lot of times when superhero teams are forced or they come up against a force so great that it's something that none of them can defeat on their own they they force it forces them to gel together and become a team again and we saw that in the the creation of the justice league when apocalypse comes and it's something so great that these otherwise self-contained characters have to come together and be a team. So I think in this sense Team Arrow and Team Flash for that matter will all come back together and work together and, and gel and be one giant team to defeat Ra's al Ghul, the League of Assassins, and the Reverse Flash. So that's why I think it might all work in this in this finale, in these finales. Right, and again it could be, it could, it could work the other way too, where it brings the superheroes together. 
and they work out their differences, but the supported characters in all of Fractures the supported yep. team. Yeah, yep. that's a good call, Dan. That's possible. So either way, I'd be happy with either way. It's interesting either way. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm going to say, that with me saying that there's going to be maybe a multi-series encompassing Big Bad, Grodd is still going to be a major villain. Good season two of Flash. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to remain on the Flash, but they're going to have something that crosses over. Or what we could see is a villain team up for next season, and that's the finale next year, because it's like a Legion of Doom versus a Justice League. Huh, okay. So maybe, maybe you could get, like, I think, like, maybe Grodd and Deathstroke and maybe a couple other people team up. Yeah, that would be cool. Or it could be Dr. Wells comes back for revenge, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, if he survives this season, that's what happens. Or maybe Eddie gets the idea to do it, something like that. Sure. If sure. Eddie goes bad. So call interesting possibilities. Call it interesting things to look forward to. Because there's a lot of things to be excited for, you know, within the finale of Arrow next week, the Flash finale the week after, and with Legend of Tomorrow. Get Supergirl. There's a lot of news coming out. Get Titans, and, and it's going to be interesting to see if all these shows connect to each other as well. So we'll get the speculation going on that. Again, I think we'll get a lot of answers around Comic-Con time. So that episode of DC Nation Podcast will probably be discussing the news that comes out of Comic-Con about these shows and how they're all going to connect. So with that, I think we're going to move to the closing now. Quich Nico is going to talk to us about next week. Again, uh, there's an exciting addition to something that he didn't add to that is that our very own Michael J. Petty, who founded this podcast with me, is going to be back to join us to talk at least the Arrow finale. So that's an exciting thing to look forward to. And hopefully he brings our classic running gag announcer man back with him as well. So that'll be good stuff. So let's move to the closing of this episode. Yeah, next week's episode, we'll have a DC and comic-related specific news with Nico section with all the TV and entertainment news that has come out in the next week relating to these DC shows, comics, and similar topics in general. And we'll continue the podcast as we continue to cover the spring 2015 season with an episode of Flash and the season finale of Arrow. We will continue to cover Flash and Arrow on a weekly basis on the run-up to their season finale, which next week will be Arrow, and then a week after that will be Flash. Also remember, their entire Across the Arrow's back catalog is available if you're just getting caught up on any of the shows we cover, go back and catch Dan and my thoughts on those episodes. But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheareas.com. I will that pre-recorded closing. Get at our DC Nation podcast website, located at dcnation.acrosstheareways.com. Go on our Across the Airways website, located at acrosstheareways.com. You can check out our other podcast shows, including Across the Airways, which provides entertainment news, along with weekly reviews, got our favorite shows, not related to superheroes, such as Sleepy Hollow, Castle, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, Person of Interest, Doctor Who, New Girl, Modern Family, The Big Bang Theory, and more to come in the future. Because the TV lineup is always changing. By the way, if you're a DC Comics fan who also has an interest in the Marvel Comics side of things, I would recommend checking out the show hosted by Danny Babacht, Nikki Amy, and myself. Go to Helicarrier, the Shield Podcast, located at helicarrierpodcast.com. Go to the iTunes Store. In addition to these programs, check out Thronescast, our podcast hosted by Nico, Nikki, and myself, dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com. Or on iTunes. Can you can send us your thoughts? Got each Game of Thrones episode by emailing us at thronescast at gmail.com, tweeting us at thronescast, again, that's at thronescast, leaving us a voicemail at 773-809-3363, again, that's 773-809-3363, or by posting on our Facebook page located at facebook.com slash thronescast. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, a Game of Thrones podcast, get Helicarrier, the Shield podcast, got the Mix Internet radio station, go by 
Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. Because if you're on a Windows or Android device, you could download our apps for the Amazon Marketplace. Because the Windows Marketplace has a regular Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own insight on the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just to say you like what we're doing, email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at Across the Airwaves. Again, there's no the on there. It's just Across the Airwaves. Join our circle on Google+. Plus. Go leave us a voicemail at 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. Okay, I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, got television events, such as Avengers Age of Ultron, Batman vs. Superman, got Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Come along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel, because a great source for panels from past Comic-Cons, because will be a great source to find videos coming out of Comic-Con 2015 this summer. All right, so once again, for our ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Andy Babak, Glue Kim, and Michael J. Buddy, who is coming back next week, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Redstick. Get it our next episode. We will catch you on the airwaves. See you guys. Have a fantastic week. And if you're a mother listening to the show, happy Mother's Day. See ya. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.